five minutes past 6 p.m. You're listening to the one and only KBUT Community Radio for the entire Gunnison Valley. Welcome to our public affairs program, Community Matters. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Chris Rourke, who I know is very excited about our first guest tonight. Thanks, Christopher. I am really excited about our guest tonight. Her name is Sandra Fish. She goes by simply Fish, and I think she's my spirit animal. She's a data journalist. She's covered campaign finance for more than two decades. She teaches young developing minds at the University of Colorado Boulder. She's written about politics for many national outlets, the Orlando Sentinel. She's worked for the Rocky Mountain News. She's, uh, I mean, her resume goes on and on. Um, she provides technical training and support for a lot of Colorado newsrooms through something called Colorado Media Project. And uh, we're really excited about having her on the show tonight. Absolutely. Hey, it's great to be here, Christopher and Chris. Thank you so much for having me. You know, you could just say that long resume is because I just flip from one thing to the next, but whatever. That's okay. <laughs> So we're happy to have you this evening. Also, later on in the show, we're going to be talking to Scott Franz, who should be familiar to our KBUT listeners, uh, of course, from the KBUT newscast, as well as some of the feature stories he's doing um, on election coverage this year. We're also going to have um, someone I anticipate having a lot of phone calls uh, for later on in the show tonight, Chris, because uh, as far as I can tell, everybody I talk to is having a hard time trouble or hard, hard time getting enough sleep. <laughs> Oh, yes, they are, myself included some nights. Derek Douglas is a chief sleep technologist for Gunnison Valley Health Sleep Lab, and he'll be answering questions and providing some tips on how to get some good rest, which God knows I could use some. <laughs> Absolutely. Again, give us a call here in the studio, 970-349-7444, or Community Matters from KBUT on Facebook. If you would like to join the conversation, we have folks Standing by to answer your phone call. Uh, and Chris, I'm going to send it to you to ask your spirit animal our first question tonight. <laughs> Great. Well, wonderful. So, Sander Fish, Fish, as you are known by, um, campaign finance gets more and more scrutiny year after year after year. Why don't you tell us about this specific, you know, subset of political reporting that you do um, and describe what you do as a journalist? So. Oh. I'm really interested in data. And when it comes to politics and campaigns, you know, your listeners, they're getting all this stuff in the mail right now, right? right. Am I right? They're seeing TV ads. They're seeing ads on YouTube, on Facebook. They're hearing radio ads. And somebody has to pay for those. Yeah. And, you know, one of the good things it's not always the perfect thing, but there are disclosure laws at the federal level and at the state level that require people almost always, but not always, to disclose their donors and, and to disclose how much they're spending on specific things. You know, in a lot of instances, they've got to say, are they supporting or opposing a candidate when it's an outside spender like a super PAC? And you know, that super PAC money has proliferated since the 2010 Citizens United. In fact, outside spending, I also do some editing with Open Secrets, a national organization that tracks federal money. Outside spending, 
this weekend has surpassed $2 billion in this campaign cycle at the federal level. And that's like, and you, you're in the third congressional district, am I right? Yes, we are. You're seeing that, you've been seeing that money and you're going to see a bunch more of it. You know, I use a lot of different techniques. I download data from the FEC or from the state's tracer website, but I also track political campaign ads um, through the, I download these contracts from TV stations from the Federal Communications Commission. And I noticed last week that the, let me think here, the Congressional Leadership Fund, a national Republican super PAC is buying up a bunch of ads but so is um, our other groups on the Democratic side. And you're just going to see, I think, in the third, in the next two weeks, already people have like spent $3 million. And I think you're going to see maybe close to that much. Well, Congressional District 3 is crazy right now because that's that's been a very solid seat for Republicans. And now we're in a situation where, you know, Scott Tipton got primaried, lost the primary. We have a newcomer on the scene. The Republicans don't want to lose that seat. The Democrats say, oh, we can probably take that seat. So it, it, I guess you can just assume that money's going to come pouring in. You know, it's interesting because I looked at this last week when I did a story about the third quarter fundraising that was reported last Thursday. And, and in fact, in 2004, for instance, um, Republicans spent quite a bit, um, almost $4 million um, outside groups, and Democrats spent about $2 million back in 2004. And John Salazar, a Democrat, won that when it was an open seat. Right. Um, you know, when Scott Tipton ran, it was actually the second time John Salazar had actually beaten him once, but he ran again in 2010. And Republicans spent about 2.3 million and Democrats spent about 1.6 million. And then in 2016, when Senator Gail Schwartz, um, the former state senator, right against Tipton, you know, Democrats actually spent $2.6 million that year to Republicans 1.7. And, and so you've seen periodically like every few two to four years, you see people getting interested in this seat and trying to see what they can do. And I think this year, this year, Republicans have outspent Democrats so far, but I think you're going to see it even up a lot. And I think, you know, the Democrats have like this coalition of groups, they've got um, environmental groups, they've got um, Women Vote, which is an offshoot super PAC from Emily's list. Um, mm. They've got, there's a local group called Rural Colorado United, which yes. was created to oppose Lauren Boebert, the rifle restaurant owner. Um, and, and then on the other side, you know, Club for Growth Action has been in the game since uh, at least, I think actually the end of September. And that is this national super PAC affiliated with this conservative nonprofit sort of think tank. And, you know, most often they actually play in Republican primaries, but they've been airing ads and sending mailers and stuff opposing, attacking Diane Mitch Bush. Mm -hmm. But now you see the Congressional Leadership Fund is in there. The National Republican Congressional Committee is airing ads. The Democratic Congressional 
congressional committee is airing ads. So is um, the House Majority Project. So, you know, these groups, you're going to, if you're in the third, you're going to see a lot of these ads. And most of them are going to be attacking other, the other candidate, because that is what these outside groups, these super PACs do. They come in and kind of do the dirty work. Although I would say that both um, Mitch Bush and Boebert are, don't necessarily have kind words from each, for each other. No, they don't. It, it, it's interesting that Rural Colorado United, I did see some ads that were attacking Bobert, and I found that very interesting because, I don't know, you know, because of the whole guns thing and being from Rifle, and she has that rural appeal to hear rule in the title of a pack that opposes her uh, caught my interest. You know, I talked with one of the organizers of that pack, and I think, you know, they're longtime residents of more of like the Pueblo area. Mm-hmm. And I think that if Scott Tipton were the nominee, they would not be doing this. Yeah. But they just really have a strong opposition to Lauren Boebert. Um, they think that she's not representative of the district. And and the district, you know, Colorado has been changing. And, and, and this is a district... Yeah, Trump won with 52% of the vote in 2016, but it's it's a district that that's you know has a significant population of unaffiliated voters. Yes. Um, and and you know those are the people who are really these these groups and the candidates are trying to reach out to. Yeah. Well, let's you know talking about money. How much does uh, campaign finance, the money that goes into it, determine the outcome of an election? I mean, what do you see from that? You know, it doesn't always determine the outcome. I mean, other things factor in. What is the economy? What is the national situation? You know, one place where it didn't factor in in 2014, Mark Udall and Democrats spent a lot more on the U.S. Senate race. He was the Democratic incumbent in 2014. And it was just a Republican year. He lost kind of narrowly to then Congressman Cory Gardner, who's now fighting for his political life against former Governor John Hickenlooper. And it looks like, you know, this is one of the things that we learned last Friday. It looks like the Democrats are like convinced that Hickenlooper is going to win. And they're pulling some of their ads starting tomorrow Mm. in the state. And some Republican outside groups are putting a little more money into it, but I, you know, four years, six years ago, it didn't work. That money doesn't always mean victory. There right. are other factors, and the national scene is a big factor this year. I'm sure timing comes into this too, because you know, so we've been a, a mail ballot election for six or seven years. Uh, the rest of the country is 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 jumping on board, you know, with the COVID situation. But um, the push to vote early this year, you can really feel it. And so money that may have been traditionally spent in the two weeks before Election Day now needs to be spent a lot earlier, doesn't it? It's interesting because I'm seeing mailers from both the Republican and the Democratic parties telling people to get out there and vote and emails and stuff. Hey, you know, voting centers open today. You need to take your ballot back or go there and vote. And I think that there's a big push to get people to vote earlier um, 
on both sides. It's interesting because that's not always certain individuals message at the national level. But, you know, and traditionally Democrats in this state have sort of waited till the last mm -hmm. minute. And uh, you're not going to see that you're not seeing that this year. You know, the other thing to keep in mind that I thought was interesting was 1.6 million people voted in the primary June 30th, mm -hmm. and a, like fewer than 11,000 voted in person. Wow. That's like a really low number. You know, I think people that I'm getting, a, I've been doing some voter Q and A's. I'm getting a lot of questions from people. People are kind of nervous, but I think people are just like, I'm voting my mail ballot. I'm not going to take the risk of being around that many people. Yeah. You know, I want to talk to you about, um, a local race that we have going on. And of course, you and I have had conversations about a political action committee that formed called Gunnison Valley Second Homeowners, or GV2H. I'm not going to ask you to speak to specifics of this group, but just about campaign finance laws in general. Um, this group has come out with some expressed advocacy, which I learned about in the process. You helped get me to some sources that educated me very well. Um, they've come out to support two candidates, of course, on the bottom of their their billboards is paid for by GV2H. So they are engaged in some independent expenditures. They are late in filing. Um, they, they have their independent expenditure committee registered, but so far, and I checked Tracer today, they have not filed um, an October 6th uh, filing to show donations and expenditures. And of course, uh, the Secretary of State's office has said it's a, you know, there's a fine per day. Um, when does it become important to know who's giving this money, how much is being given and how it's being spent? Does it really matter? It's important it now, to be honest, because, you know, you say there are billboards up there. In fact, starting October 4th, they were supposed to start filing reports of expenditures within 48 days, 48 hours, within two days of making that expenditure, and they haven't done that. They have another campaign fi finance filing that's due today. Hasn't happened. And, you know, you talk about that express advocacy. If you're even mentioning a candidate at this point, you have to report that you're doing that. Um, even if you're not saying vote for vote against you're just saying this person's a great person call them and tell them you love them and that's so called you, what electioneering <laughs> that's called electioneering and you okay. do have to report that with the, the in these 30 days before the election so you know and it's important who is spending that money how much are they spending you know you might not be seeing um say mailers that they're you know sending out or door flyers that they're handing out. I don't know if they have radio ads or TV, cable TV stuff, but, um, and, and they don't have to, the cable TV people don't have to report statewide issue stuff. That's not part of the FCC rules. So you wouldn't know unless they report this to the secretary of state. And who is that? Who are these people? I mean, it's, it's important to know. It is important to know, and I've really been thankful that I've had, uh, you know, you helping me along the way, figuring a lot of these things out. Right now, we're going to, uh, I'm going to toss back to Christopher, and he has something. Yeah, absolutely. I want to remind our listeners that they're listening to KBUT Community Matters. They can call in and ask questions. 
uh, of our first guest, Sandra Fish, and now we're going to introduce our second guest as well, KBUT's Scott Franz. He is Capital Coverage reporter for Rocky Mountain Community Radio, uh, which includes several radio stations all around Colorado. He is based out of KUNC in Greeley, Colorado, and he covers all things um, state capital-wise, and uh, he's been t- putting a lot of work into covering election stories this election cycle. Thank you so much for being with us, Scott, and for all the work that you do for KBUT. Hey, my pleasure, Christopher. Great to be here. So we already brought up Congressional District 3. We know that this uh, race is getting a lot of national attention. There is uh, some notoriety around the fact that uh, Lauren Boebert is linked uh, in some ways to QAnon, uh, we have a far more establishment uh, candidate in Diane Mitch Bush, former uh, Route County Commissioner, um, who everyone just assumed was going to be facing uh, incumbent Republican Scott Tipton. So we're seeing polls that are showing Mitch Bush up one or two percent. Scott, you've just um, done a feature story on this race. Are there any swing voters in this race? Do you think everyone has pretty much made up their mind? We're talking about getting all this money spent on uh, convincing people to vote for one candidate or another. But with such um, polarized candidates, are there really any other, are there really folks out there that haven't made their mind up yet? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. You know, there there might be, but based on the fact that these candidates are so far apart on pretty much everything, you know, up front and center is how they've responded to the pandemic. You know, Lauren Boebert has been holding rallies. Um, she reopened her restaurant in defiance of state health orders. Um, Diane Mitchbush, on the other hand, has been socially distancing. Um, you know, I, I think that's going to be fresh on the mind for, for voters, um, you know, to have that contrast to choose from on an issue that, you know, is right in front of them. Right now, they're still living through it. Um, you know, on one hand, Bobert is very critical of the, the restrictions that have been put in place, um, whereas Diane Mitchbush has been um, you know, advocating for restrictions that are based on um, guidance from public health officials. Um, yeah, you know, I haven't really covered a race where the candidates are so strikingly different. And um, yeah, for the, I think a lot of people have already made up their minds. I think uh, it's going to be, you know, the interesting thing to follow is is where the um, unaffiliated unaffiliated voters break in this election. You know, this this is the biggest voting block. Um, you know, these people that don't align with Republicans or Democrats and their party affiliation, and um, you know, it's it's up to them, and they have a very very clear contrast to choose from. Sure, and that's interesting. That kind of brings me back to a point that I wanted to ask you about. I remember for the last uh, big election um, that you were doing some reporting on the rise of the unaffiliated voter uh, in Colorado, voters opting out of the two-party system, um, independent. We have an unaffiliated candidate uh, running for county commissioner here as well. Um, are you following that at all this election cycle, or uh, has has your attention been swept up by all the other stuff that's happening? Yeah, th- thanks for that question. You know, um, I did have grand plans before the pandemic, before a wildfire shut down I-70, into um, <laughs> Glenwood Canyon to actually take a road trip to Garfield County, um, where you know it, it, if you look at the election map, it's it, it does have that really high percentage of unaffiliated voters. It is what what you'd consider 
to be a swing county um, in an election like this, um, you know, and I was hoping to get out there and actually talk to people about, um, you know, why they're unaffiliated and, and what they're watching for in, in this major election. Um, but I do think, um, you know, the way the state is trending, it, it is important to, uh, you know, follow the unaffiliated voter because, you know, they're some of the most sought after votes. They represent um, the biggest voting block in a lot of these counties that, that may end up deciding elections. And, um, you know, in a place like Garfield County, uh, you really see all of the major issues the state has coming into play, oil and gas development, um, affordable housing, healthcare, you know, all these major things with unaffiliated voters being the biggest voting block, I think is, is really fascinating and a reason to, to always be checking the pulse of, of what they're thinking on the issues because, you know, they're living in the places where we see some of the biggest political battles happening. Sure. Uh, so, and I wanted to touch on as well, the other really big race in uh, statewide race in Colorado right now. Um, you know, we've seen uh, quite a variety, especially for folks here in the Gunnison County who have seen um, four county commissioner debates, more than six hours of debate. Um, it was it was pretty, pretty big week for me, I know. Um, uh, we see quite a contrast, you know, from that all the way up to the presidential debate that was unbelievably contentious. If that was a 10 uh, and let's say, I don't know, like something like a support group was a one. How, how would you, how would you characterize uh, the, 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 the race between Hickenlooper and Gardner? Uh, what's, how's that played out? <laughs> well, uh, there was a lot less interrupting of each other. Um, so it was, it was easier to follow as a political reporter, um, you know, what their, their arguments for, uh, you know, for and against things were. Um, if I had to put a number on it, you know, I, I might say a, a six or a seven, you know, the, the Senate debates were, uh, very heated. Um, you know, Cory Gardner definitely, uh, from the opening seconds really, uh, went on the attack because he's down in, in every poll we've seen. Um, you see some troubling signs for him, you know, with the fundraising, with, um, you know, the fact that even Democrats now are acknowledging that, you know, they're comfortable with where the polls are and shifting some of their money other places. Um, yeah, but, you know, some of the earlier debates, they definitely both sometimes ignored the moderator's question and decided to make the points they want, which is not new for a political debate. But if I had to kind of quickly summarize what I saw as a viewer, um, you know, Cory Gardner definitely uh, tried to make it more about character. Um, because he is down in the polls. He really went after Hickenlooper over his recent ethics violations, you know, where he accepted free flights and gifts, um, you know, against the rule set in the state constitution. Um, whereas Hickenlooper really started by going after President Trump and his response to the coronavirus, really trying to tie Gardner's fortunes to um, the presidents in the state. And he sees that as is the best strategy. So I have a question and I, I wanna weave Sandra into this. Fish, feel free to weigh in too. And I know that you're probably gonna have to go soon, but you know, when you're looking at debates like that and we talk about civility and the fact that um, civility is out the door right now, how does that impact the voter? Do voters get riled up 
more so for their candidate? Do they become offended and say, whoa, that's not the person I thought that person was? How, how do these, uh, these raucous debates weigh on the voter? That's a really good question, Chris. I don't know that I have an answer, but I think, you know, I spend too much time on Twitter and follow a lot of people and see a lot of stuff. And I think, I think that that presidential debate really did turn a lot of people off. If you watch that, I mean, people I talk to who aren't other political reporters or just regular people, they were like shocked and amazed and appalled. Yeah. And, you know, now you're seeing stories out there that Trump's camp is, if there's going to be another debate this Thursday, that they're trying to tell him to try to be nicer and um, appeal to more people. And we'll see how that works. I, I think that, you know, to me, one of, it was interesting to listen to some of the questions at the final U.S. Senate debate. And um, the Nine News moderators asked, whether each of these men thought that their opponent was a moral, ethical person. Yeah. And Senator Gardner kind of hemmed and hawed and I guess maybe kind of said no, but not exactly. It was a yes or no question. And Governor Hickenlooper said yes. Then they asked whether or not they thought Trump was a moral, ethical person and Hickenlooper said no. And Senator Gardner said, yes and then tried to qualify it and i think that's a you know that's what this election at that level is about you know but I, we've seen this um trickle down to our local commissioner's race i mean uh, uh christopher was talking about the four debates and there was a lot of that the uh, the attack kind of things and um, so I just see where things play out on a national scale, really sinking down into our local level. And, and certainly, Scott, I'd like you to weigh in on it, too. And we should also explain the relationship between Fish and Scott. <laughs> Who wants to volunteer that? Fish, you want to take that one? Hi, Scott. It's good to see you and talk to you here. Scott was in one of my journalism, maybe I think more than one journalism class at University of Colorado. And he's like a huge success. No, thanks to me. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he'd argue that. But Scott, what do you think about this, this impact of these debates and, and how contentious things are? How does that impact the voter? Now, first, I'll start by agreeing with Fish on the fact that um, I do attribute a lot of my professional success to the journalism class. And, um, you know, I survived a Boulder City Council meeting uh, that she uh, forced us to go to and, and cover. And then I, I spent seven more years covering Steamboat City Council. Um, and didn't go crazy doing that. So that was uh, really helpful. But yeah, that's, you know, I agree with a lot of what um, what Fish said, you know, it's, it's harder this election season. Um, you know, in a normal year, I'd be in a debate watch party. You know, I watched the primary debate with voters in Boulder um, and you could really get a real time reaction of, of what people thought when they thought candidates went too far. Um, so it will be interesting to see, again, you know, talking about those unaffiliated voters or, or people in the middle, you know, what did they think of these candidates being asked whether their opponent, you know, is a moral and ethical person and one quickly saying yes and the other um, kind of waffling and, and not giving an answer. Um, you know, I, I'd be fascinated to be in the room with a truly undecided voter in this Senate race and, yeah, see what, what they thought of these 
sometimes testy exchanges over healthcare and attacks on character and whether someone, um, you know, a, you know, you had Gardner accusing Hickenlooper of caring about himself more than voters, you know, it, do they work for some people? Um, you know, I, I think that's a, a good question. And I, I will say that it, it seems like the debates this year are um, a little more personal in ways than they have been. And um, yeah, it's interesting to think about, does a voter get, you know, do they kind of get um, a little less optimistic about their choices when, when there is so much negativity instead sure. of focusing on issues? Sure. Well, I'm going to have to interrupt this little party because Fish is going to have to go and educate more young minds. She has a class coming up. So uh, we're so thankful that you joined us, Sandra. Um, well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. It's good to see Scott again and talk to Christopher and, and Chris. Have a great evening. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Thanks, Sandra. And Scott, Scott, you're not off the hook yet, though. <laughs> no, and I think that's actually uh, a, 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 a good segue into the question that I had to have for you. I saw something that alarmed me uh, quite a bit today. We have a poll out um, from uh, CU Boulder that found that 71% of uh, Coloradans, here we go, Coloradans are concerned about violence on or around election day. So there is for sure plenty of contention around this election. Uh, by the way, that poll was done before the violence uh, and, and death at a political rally in Denver last weekend. Um, Scott, life here in the Gunnison Valley can at times feel isolated from the rest of the world and even the rest of the state. Uh, as someone who covers politics at the Capitol, does that 71% of people who are concerned about violence on or following election day, does that surprise you? You know, based on what we've seen recently, it, it doesn't, sadly. I mean, it, um, you know, I'll, I'll start with a personal example. We have a, a colleague uh, of mine at, um, you know, who covers guns in America and was actually, you know, on the scene uh, an hour before that, that deadly shooting took place. You know, she said it, it started um, rather peacefully. There, there wasn't uh, much happening. So she went home and then later found out, yeah, there was that, that clash between a protester, um, you know, and someone else that, that resulted in, in someone being killed. So, you know, I mean, that's just one example where, you know, a reporter in, in our newsroom, you know, was just an hour away from, um, you know, being right there at the same scene where it happened. Um, yeah, I think, you know, we also saw Governor Polis and Secretary of State uh, Jenna Griswold um, recently having a press conference, you know, that, that you don't normally see in election years where they were talking about, you know, warning against, um, you know, efforts of voter intimidation or things happening at polls. And I, I can't recall an election where, you know, elected officials were, um, proactive in that way, like holding an event just to, to talk about that. Um, so yeah, based on, on what we, what we've seen, um, you know, I, it'll be interesting to see as the election gets closer. I haven't heard many reports of, of things that are too concerning. You know, I have a lot of friends who have voted and, you know, they've taken their ballots to the drop boxes and it's been very uneventful, but 
but the fact that people are concerned based on some of these high profile incidents we've seen resulting in violence and, and death in one case, um, yeah, doesn't doesn't surprise me. Sure. You are listening to KBUT Community Radio for the Gunnison Valley. This is Community Matters. I'm Christopher Biddle. I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Rourke. We're also talking to KBUT's capital coverage reporter, Scott Franz, uh, who uh, covers everything at the Capitol for KBUT and a number of other community radio stations around Colorado. Later on tonight, we're going to be speaking with a sleep specialist, sleep specialist, Derek Douglas is with Gunnison Valley Health. He's going to be providing some tips on uh, helping you get a good night's rest. We also want to let folks know that they can ask questions of Scott or later on uh, talk to Derek. But uh, give us a call here in the studio, 970-349-7444, 970-349-7444, and ask your questions here on Community Matters. Scott, we've already talked about a couple of the things that you've covered. I want to mention, by the way, that uh, just about anything we've talked about tonight, you can find at kbut.org. We've got all of Scott's feature stories up there. We have not uh, touched on any of the ballot initiatives uh, before Colorado voters, though. However, um, in short, Scott, what what do you think are what do you think are the the big ballot initiatives uh, that voters care the most about? What's driving voters to the polls um, in terms of ballot initiatives this election season? Well, I'll start with one of the biggest ones, which is uh, paid family leave. It's mm-hmm. an issue that that affects so many people around the state, and it. It's an issue that, you know, lawmakers couldn't come to an agreement on. You know, Democrats have tried for years to pass their own family leave program. Um, But now every voter in the state is going to get to decide whether, you know, most workers should pay a premium into a brand new um, family leave program. You know, kind of a a question unsolved at the Capitol. Now you get to decide. Um, You know, you also get to decide whether gray wolves are going to be reintroduced here. You know, it's, you know, they were almost completely eradicated by the 1940s in the state, you know, with ranchers, um, you know, protecting their livestock and supporters point to success stories in Yellowstone and other um, areas of Wyoming, Montana with reintroduction. But, you know, the West Slope, I've talked to a lot of ranchers in the steamboat area who, are really fearful of this. Um, you know, those those two alone could drive a lot of people to the polls, but then there's nine more. There's taxes on nicotine products. There's um, the Gallagher Amendment, which would take me a couple minutes to, uh, <laughs> to explain. Um, yeah, there's, you know, a potential restriction on abortion. You know, there's everything from, um, you know, the major issues that people... Um, debate nationally to ones that'll affect pretty much everyone's budget in the state. So, um, yeah, it's it, there's a lot at stake this election, just here in Colorado. So uh, we're very lucky that we just got our first listener-submitted question. Um, <laughs> this is a little bit ironic. Can you please explain the Gallagher Amendment uh, ballot initiative? <laughs> Uh, so it sounds like we need a couple minutes for uh, to for you to explain the Gallagher in, uh, initiative. How long is your show? <laughs> um, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you. We'll call this the elevator pitch. Let's give you, a, you okay. know, three four minutes. Um, right. And explain. Right. All right, go right. for it. I think 
I think what most people should realize, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying, you know, I, I'd encourage you to read the blue book, read more coverage <laughs> online, because it is, it is very, it is very complicated. But I would say that the Gallagher Amendment is just something that affects how much um, you pay in, in property taxes. It was passed in, I think, 1982. And what it's done is it's kept residential property taxes um, set at a percentage that's lower than commercial. Um, the thinking was businesses should um, pay more. But you know, people who want to repeal it say that this situation has kept fire departments and school districts and others who rely on residential property taxes from from collecting it up, and then the state has to backfill it. On the other hand, people who don't want to get rid of it say, you know, your residential property tax would go up if it did. Um, I hope I'm boiling it down to the essential, but it, it really comes down to your philosophy on how much residents and business owners should pay in property taxes and sure. what you think of your local fire department and your state government and whether you think that there's a problem that they should get more of that tax revenue. And I'm just going to go ahead and point that listener as well to KBUT.org where you can find uh, Scott's feature story on that as well as Wolf Reintroduction, uh, Paid Family Leave, the Senate and House races. Uh, you've really done a lot of work this election season, Scott, uh, and we really appreciate it. You've really helped us fill out our election coverage here in the Gunnison Valley. Uh, we've got uh, an elections 2020 page up at KBUT.org. Uh, and your name's all over it, and we really, really uh, appreciate the reporting that you've done um, this this time around. Chris, did you have any more questions for Scott at all right now? I'm curious about how um, covering all these ballot initiatives, I mean, how you keep them straight sometimes. You know, the, you pointed <laughs> out the blue book. And the blue book, you know, is, is this, well, of course, listeners can't see my arm movements, but it's a big blue book this year. Um, how do you keep it all straight? How do you keep it simple in your head? Yeah, uh, I'll be honest. There are times when I forget the numbers. Somebody asked me Prop 113, and I have to remind myself which one it is. I think I have the benefit of, you know, a lot of these issues are ones that I've covered in the state legislature. Several of right. these things are battles that lawmakers have fought over for years, you know, that I've followed those debates and hours of late night testimony. Um, and now it, it just, it basically has a, you know, has a proposition number or an amendment number. Right. Um, and it's just kind of remembering these sometimes very contentious debates um, that I've covered already over the years, landing on the ballot. Um, and, you know, it helps that there's a lot of things that I personally am interested in following. You know, his, the, for Gray Wolves, for example, I dug through a lot of historic newspapers, and it's just fascinating to, to read about the debates ranchers and everyone else was having back in the 40s over this. And yeah. you know, these are sometimes battles that are decades in the making. You know, I, I also think it's interesting when you have this uh, playing out of putting a ballot initiative uh, up that's supposed to counter another initiative, and then that initiative doesn't make it onto the ballot. Case in point, um, Proposition 116, 
the uh, income tax decrease was supposed to be sort of a counterbalance to the fair tax. And then the fair tax didn't make it on the ballot. So now we're looking at, you know, a, a modest decrease in income tax. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think a lot of these questions, it's also interesting, you know, the, the timing when the state had to cut billions of dollars from its budget. You know, we're still in the middle of a pandemic where so many people are affected economically. Um, you know, and a lot of these have have price tags. They're, you know, paid family leave, for example, is an issue that I think even opponents of this program will say, you know, what a worthy cause it is and they think it's needed. But um, yeah, just I think that the timing will be will be fascinating to see how how voters react in in such a volatile time. Well, and as always, uh, every election is unique. We think that we're living, we are living in different times now. However, I, I think anyone at any point of history would say that about an election, but it'll be very interesting to see how this all plays out. Really thankful for your coverage. It helps us stay you know, tied into what's going on on the front range and really appreciate your coverage. Yeah, definitely, my pleasure. And thanks, thanks for letting me on tonight. I, I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much, Scott. Scott Franz is KBUT's capital coverage reporter. He is based out of KUNC in Greeley, Colorado. Stick with us here on Community Matters. We will have uh, Derek Douglas, a sleep specialist with Gunnison Valley Health, on the air next. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment. Scott, that was great. Support for KBUT comes from Somrac Concept and Structure, a Crested Butte general contractor offering design and build services from drawings through construction to a turnkey finished home. Ben and Kate Somrac are joined by a team who feel fortunate and humbled to help others bring their visions to life and make this magical place a home. Somrac.net, S-O-M-R-A-K.net. It's election season in Gunnison County, Colorado, and the United States. KBUT has extensive election coverage available on our website at kbut.org. Local voting information, candidate forums, discussion of ballot issues, and more are all available at kbut.org. And stay tuned for more coverage right here on KBUT. Are you a morning person? My name's Christopher Biddle, KBUT's Morning Edition host. You and I know that here in the Gunnison Valley, there are plenty of reasons to get out of bed, from the mountains to the rivers to the radio. 
On NPR's Morning Edition, you hear news and analysis from some of the best reporters in the business. And I'm live and local, bringing you current weather conditions and daily stories from around Colorado and here in the Valley. Join me weekday mornings from 6 to 8 a.m. here on KBUT. We're back here on Community Matters on KBUT, and joining us is the, the chief sleep technologist for Gunnison Valley Health Sleep Lab, Derek Douglas. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So uh, as I mentioned to you before when we talked uh, before coming on the show, I really was hoping to have you on to help uh, provide some relief for some folks because it seems like everybody I talk to is having a hard time sleep. So we're just going to start off with three tips for getting a better night's sleep. Okay. Um, the very first one, and, and all these are all part of a, something called good sleep hygiene. So if you want more information on it, just Google that um, and you can find all this stuff on there. But generally the number one thing on there would be having a set schedule, um, making sure that you're going to bed at the same time um, because our body actually secretes hormones uh, based off our biological clock. And if you, uh, if you're off even an hour by that, it, it kind of screws everything up and then your body has to try and relearn. Okay, um, so off even by an hour. We've heard this a lot. I'm sorry, I didn't mean, but, but off by an hour, how, what about a half hour? Um, I mean, it's a lot of times our, our body's clocks are generally set to 24 hours. So even just a little bit off can adjust those hormone levels. Um, but especially a lot of the research is showing more than an hour or so. So Sure. All right, so that's uh, so that's one. Did we get to a second tip for sleeping well? Yeah, the the second biggest tip, um, and this one's gonna kill everybody, is uh, no devices before bed. Um, so <laughs> a lot of people are familiar with the uh, um, blue light emission um, that a lot of research has been coming out of, that it stimulates us. Um, they actually recently in the last month or so actually discovered another orange wavelength. Um, so, so I can't wait to see those uh, new phone filters when they uh, take not only the blue lights out, but the orange lights out too. So wait a minute. So you're telling me that blue light screen thing that I have on my phone is doing me no good. Uh, uh, apparently uh, it's helping, but it's a, uh, the same thing is a, uh, what for that set schedule. The, the reason why is there's a part in our brain that activates, tells us whether we're supposed to be awake or whether we're supposed to be asleep. And um, it's and based our, off of either mel melatonin or cortisol. Um, and, and when we start to go to sleep and the lights dim down, we get more melatonin. And then as soon as those lights turn on, we have less melatonin and more of that cortisol. So, Okay, um, so Derek, I have two strikes against me. What's the uh -huh. third? Yep, yep, yep. So, so yeah, the the... It's, it's debatable as to how close to bedtime um, the device is, but the longer away from it, the better, honestly. So, All right. Sure. So what's so, your third tip? And then the, the third tip is um, kind of goes along the same lines, but saving the bed for sleep and sex only. Because um, a lot of people will go to bed and will watch TV or read in bed or, and stuff like that. Um, what they're starting to find with behavior training and whatnot is um, if you can save it just for those two things, um, a lot of times that will kind of retrain your brain. Hey, it's time to go to sleep. We need to start doing X, Y, Z. 
Um, so no so, TV in bed? What about TV? So, that puts you to sleep. Yep. So, so no TV in bed. It's, it stimulates you. Um, and, um, a, a lot of times what, with that being said, like if people try to go to bed, generally we should be able to fall asleep within 20, 30 minutes. If you are laying there and laying there and laying there, they're recommending, you know what, just get up, go to a separate room, go get in a chair with a, a dim light, read a book. Um, if you need a real good book to put you to sleep, I guess the uh, blue book is a good one for you right now. There <laughs> you go. Political season. <laughs> um, sure. But, uh, but yeah, so. Great. Uh, so Derek, uh, another thing that we actually met, talked about in our conversation earlier today, um, we're hearing a lot about sleep right now, the importance of sleep. Um, it seems like there's been a lot of research uh, and, and sort of a renaissance in the understanding of the importance of sleep. Um, can you provide a little mini history of our understanding and the study of sleep? Yeah. Um, I mean, the study of sleep, a lot of the research is coming out in the last probably five to 10 years as to the super importance of it. Um, in fact, I was at the store today and I found a National Geographic article on the importance of sleep. So I was a little too busy trying to run through, so I didn't see what articles were in there. But uh, um, but yeah, I, five, ten years ago, unless you were super fat and super tired, we didn't really care if, how you slept and if there was sleep apnea or any of that fun stuff. Um, but sleep's been around since they start, first started researching it back in 1930. Um, and they finally figured out how to study it by 1967. So pretty much since that point on is when the first paper was produced on it. And there's just been research ever since then. So the Greeks or the, 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 the Romans didn't think about sleep at all? Nope. Nope. The, uh, the, the very first people that wanted to know why we sleep is, uh, they wanted to figure out why our eyes jiggle at night, which we now now call that REM, which stands for rapid eye movement, which a lot of people now know is, is our dream sleep. Um, so they wanted to figure that out, um, huh. figure out why, why, why we physiologically do that. And, and it's, it's just been ever since then more and more studies. <laughs> sure. So we got about six minutes left here uh, on community matters with Derek Douglas, uh, our sleep specialist this evening. Uh, so Derek sleep drugs, good or bad? It depends, honestly. Um, uh, a lot of the research is saying if it's need to be as for like a temporary thing, um, a lot of the research is saying, Hey, you know what? It's a good, go ahead and good thing to do. There's a lot of mixed research with a lot of the over the counters, like, uh, the L tryptophan or melatonin or any of those other supplements and whatnot. Because um, here in the U.S., you, they're over the counter. Other places like Europe, they actually you have to get a prescription for them. So there's a lot of debate as to whether or not their effectiveness, their safety, all that. Um, a lot of times, though, in my experience, most of, most of the people who need those medications usually have something else that's going on that needs fixed first. Um, and it's usually something along the lines of either like some sleep apnea or low oxygen or restless leg syndrome or something of that nature. Um, that's usually where a lot of that comes in um, because a lot of times as soon as we fix that, it fixes people's uh, sleep problems, but that's not always the case. So so usually there's an underlying cause that needs to be yep. treated. Yeah, there, a lot of times there's an underlying cause and, and what's interesting is there's been a lot of buzz about sleep apnea um, because like I said, we didn't really care too much about it. However, 
a lot of the research is now starting to show that heart attacks, strokes, AFib, Alzheimer's, dementia, diabetes, I mean, you name it. Um, if it's if it's not good, it's pretty much on that list. <laughs> um, it's all starting to get linked to as sleep apnea being the root cause. Um, and and so a lot of times as soon as we can fix that, it kind of resolves a lot of the other issues. All right, Derek, you're kind of a buzzkill for me, so I'm yeah. going to bring it up. <laughs> Yep. What about that nice one, that, that one glass of wine right before you go to bed? Yep. Is it going to help me or hurt me? Um, it actually it can actually hurt you a little, um, where a lot of people will say it helps them fall asleep and stuff like that because it is a depressant. Um, however, what the research is showing is it does keep us out of our dream sleep. Um, so we are supposed to go into our dream sleep about every 90 minutes. Um, However, if you uh, um, if you do consume alcohol within about four hours of bedtime, your body doesn't have enough time to metabolize that, and it actually actually keeps you out of that dream sleep. So then you get into what's called like a sleep debt, and that hmm. sleep debt you there's not enough time left in the night for you to gain that, and then a lot of times people feel more tired the next day. Um, and that's how a lot of uh, alcoholism is actually starting to get linked to is mm -hmm. people are getting out of that dream sleep and then they're more tired and then they drink more and then they're more tired and it just it snowballs. So what happens when somebody can. OK, I'm going to give you a for instance, uh -huh. get in bed about 10, 10, 30, 11, go to sleep 3 a.m. Mm -hmm. What is it about 3 a.m.? <laughs> So and everything on your mind comes up at 3 a.m. What's going on? So a lot of times, and that's very common, um, a lot of times it's usually because people are in their dream sleep. Um, like I said, we go into our dream sleep about every 90 minutes. So usually I will hear complaints from people about 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock, somewhere right in there. Um, if somebody does have even, let's say, a minor amount of oxygen drops or sleep apnea or something like that, a lot of times I will only see it in that dream sleep. And because our brain is moving about 90 miles an hour in our dream sleep, we actually secrete hormones that paralyze us so that we don't act our dreams out. Um, and if you do have, a, if I'm going to see any oxygen drops and stuff like that, it's usually at that time. Um, so that's what a lot of times what wakes you up is your, your body goes, holy crap, let's wake up. Let's get this, uh, we got to start breathing. Um, so that's a lot of times why people will wake up at two, three in the morning. So gotcha. it's six fifty nine right now. I just have one final question for our guest, yeah, Derek Douglas, uh, who is a sleep specialist with Gunnison Valley health. Thank you so much for coming on community matters. Um, final question. I think, you know, the, the tipping point, um, when should someone seek medical help? How do we tell if lack of sleep is affecting us? Yeah. Um, so, if you are having more issues than just like a one-time thing because stress and all that other stuff, like life happens. Um, that's the reality of it. You're going to have a night that's going to be rough. But if it's kind of a continual or habitual thing, by all means, talk to your doc um, because they may order a sleep study. They may just do a simple oxygen test just to see if you're having other underlying issues or um, anything like that. Um, or they may recommend you more for doing counseling or stuff like that to kind of relieve that stress that could also be causing some of those issues. So, Sure. Derek Douglas, uh, thank you so much for joining us this evening and talking about 
how folks, uh, our listeners can, can get a better night's rest. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Have a great day. And if anyone has any questions, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, you can always give me a call and I'll give you a shoot and, uh, contact back. So awesome. And thanks, uh, as always to my co-host this evening, Chris Rourke, who I sincerely hope gets a good night rest this night, uh, this evening. <laughs> Thank you, Christopher. I'm going to modify my schedule. I'm I'm going to put aside all my stresses and and only sleep in my bed tonight. Yep, there you go. This is Community Matters here on KBUT Crested Butte, heard at 90.3 and 88.7 KGNI Gunnison, and of course, of course worldwide at kbut.org. My name is Christopher Biddle. Thanks so much for joining us again this evening. Uh, my good friend Bobby Digital is here in the studio, ready to take over. Make sure to stick around here on KBUT.